Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, amen. So good to see you this morning, church, and uh, so glad to, to worship with you. So glad to be back. Um, as the choir is still making their way to their seats, I want to invite you to turn with me in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, uh, we're picking up our, our long study through the book of Acts. We're going through this book verse by verse. Um, that's the way God wrote the Bible. He wrote it in books. So that's the best way to go through the Bible is to go through books. Um, but I do want to say I'm so grateful uh, for Pastor Larry, our Pastor Emeritus, uh, to have been here the past two weeks. I know he preached on Sunday uh, and those Wednesdays I was away. I know you were in good hands. And uh, while we were singing that song just about uh, God's blessings, uh, I couldn't help but think I'm so blessed to have Pastor Larry in my life. Um, I'm so blessed to have a Pastor Emeritus. Um, you know, everybody says, oh, how do you come in uh, uh, behind somebody that served for, for that long in a church and experienced such joys in ministry? And I said, hey, it's just a blessing. It's just a blessing. I get to call him all the time when I have issues, and I'm like, what would you do? Um, tell me about this person. Um, tell me their story. Just some of y'all are sweating now, aren't you? Um, but uh, so thankful for him, so thankful for his ministry. Church, we are so blessed to have Larry Harmon and his family and to still be so close. Um, and when he retired, he didn't leave this place. He is still here with us, um, still serving the people here. When families are hurting, when, when folks are passing away, guess who one of the first people to show up is? Pastor Larry. So, so grateful that he was be, uh, able to be here uh, shepherding this church, and we all still call him Pastor. So, Acts chapter 9, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 31 today, continuing the story of Saul. So, once you found your place, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. I'm going to read the last half of verse 19 just to give us a little better context. But it says, For some days he, that means Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews, that mean the Jewish leaders, plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus." So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. 
And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, that being the Greek-speaking Jews. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let us pray. Father, I pray you please just open our eyes to your word today. Lord, as we read about your servant Saul, Lord, how you opened his eyes. Lord, he already knew your word. He, he already had your word in his heart. But God, you opened his eyes to see that your word all pointed to Jesus. Father, I pray the same be true today for us as we come under the preaching of your word. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit uh, be the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes today, the title of our message is Welcome to Ministry. Welcome to Ministry. We get a, an introduction to ministry for this servant named Saul. We get his first days of ministry. After Saul's conversion, he immediately began serving the Lord. And he quickly became acquainted with the realities of Christian ministry. Ministry has its joys. It has its, its ups. But ministry also has its pains. It has its downs. Saul experienced both of those in our passage today. Earlier in Acts chapter 9, when Jesus was uh, dispatching Ananias to go and seek out this person named Saul, who was located on Straight Street, uh, Ananias was a little hesitant, saying, Lord, do you know about this guy? And of course the Lord knows about this guy. Jesus says, yes, I know him. He is my chosen instrument. He's going to carry my name to the nations. But Jesus also said this. He's going to suffer many things for the sake of my name. Jesus promised that. He, he gave that prophecy earlier in Acts chapter 9. Guess what? The fulfillment takes place in the second half of chapter 9. Saul is going to go on after he's saved and baptized. He is going to be a faithful preacher. He's going to be a bold preacher. But also in chapter 9, we're going to see that he becomes closely acquainted with this thing called persecution. All for the sake of Christ. So we look at this narrative today. I want to let you know it can be divided into three sections. Number one, we're going to look at Saul's preaching. Saul's preaching. Number two, Saul's preparation. And number three, Saul's persecution. We begin by looking at Saul's preaching. Let's look at verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. After Saul got saved, after he uh, had his encounter with Jesus, and after Ananias made his way there and he was baptized, he wasted no time in serving the Lord. The, the text says he immediately began preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the very reason he was going to persecute people, but now he was the primary vessel of that truth. And what does that mean that Paul was preaching that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, it means this, that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the promised Messiah. Hey, he was the one that was promised to reign in the kingdom of David. He is also God incarnate. Notice where Saul went to. He went to the synagogues. This was kind of the equivalent of, of a Sunday morning for, for the Jews. This is where they would go and gather for worship and teach. He was going to the synagogues. 
Before he got saved, he was originally going to the synagogues to, to drag people out of there and bring them back to Jerusalem for persecution. He was originally going there to persecute followers of Christ. But now he was going there to preach Christ. It's an amazing turnaround. But at this point, let me tell you this, Saul was a baby Christian. Do you know that? All of us are born babies. Did you know that? The same thing when you get saved. You're born again as a baby Christian. He was an extraordinary baby Christian, but he was still a baby Christian. And he was already a gifted preacher, a gifted debater because of his background as a Pharisee. Pharisee was one of the teachers in Judaism. Uh, they were one of the experts of the law. Uh, the, the equivalent of a Pharisee today would be someone in, in academics. He, he would have had multiple doctorates. He knew the Old Testament by heart. Moreover, he learned under one of the greatest teachers of his day, someone we've already touched base on in the book of Acts, a man named Gamaliel. Saul knew the Old Testament by heart. But here's the good thing. Now the eyes of his heart were opened to see that everything he knew in God's word pointed to Jesus Christ. What a revelation this man had in such a short period of time. You know, for us, we get saved and learn the Bible. Saul knew the Bible, got saved, and all the dots started connecting. Look at verse 21. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? No, the people heard Saul's preaching, and they were amazed. I'll say this. Uh, they were probably amazed by his preaching. But the context of our verse today, they were amazed by this preacher. How is this guy preaching what he's preaching? Uh, the great persecutor is now a great preacher. God had done a mighty work in his life. And I want to pause there just for a second. Some of y'all know this from experience. When you get saved, a difference in your life takes place. Also, when you get saved, and some of y'all are like, man, you should know my buddies, you should know my friends, you should know the gang I'm coming from. Guess what? They notice the difference. And they'll even sometimes say it to you, man, you're different. You're different. And you know what you need to say? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about that difference. That difference is not made by a person's will. A person does not wake up one morning and say, I want to be different. A person changes because of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes into their life. He is the difference. Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul continued to grow in strength. This strength was both physical but also spiritual. I say it's physical because we know before he got converted, he spent a few days blind. He also spent a few days fasting, not eating or drinking. So now that he got saved and baptized, he regained his strength by eating and drinking. But he also had spiritual strength. He grew in his understanding of Scripture. He grew in his preaching. He grew in holiness. He grew in the Spirit. And as a result, the folks he was talking to, the Jews, 
They were confounded. What is that word? We don't really use that in our vernacular today. It means they were confused. Not, not that Saul was unclear or confusing to listen to, but when he was in debate mode, proving that Jesus is the Christ, they were stumped. They were stumped. They were speechless. They didn't know how to respond to him because he was so sharp. He was so on fire. He was so powerful. He was so strong in Christ. So what did the Jews do when they can't contest with this man and his, his brilliance and his giftedness and the truth that's coming out of him? They do the same thing they did to Jesus. When they got stumped by Jesus, what did they do? They said, we need to kill him. We need to kill him. We need to eliminate him. And Saul would have many threats in his lifetime. He would become closely acquainted with persecution. We're going to get to that later. But God protects his servants. God our days are numbered. Our days are numbered. Uh, I was reading about that this week in my quiet time when, when King David was on the run from Saul. He had confidence to know that his time was in God's hands. That the clock was not going to stop on him until God was done. God had great plans in store for his chosen instrument. And he was going to have many threats come his way, but those threats would not be successful until Saul's work on earth was done. In addition to his preaching, and we also learn about, number two, Saul's preparation. Saul's preparation. While Saul immediately began serving the Lord, we see that God was still molding and shaping his servant. He was still chipping away at his chosen instrument. This man did not start writing books of the Bible right out of the gate. This man did not have great influence right at the very start. He was a force to be reckoned with. He was Saul. He was the Pharisee. He was the Hebrew. He had this immaculate resume and this awesome conversion experience. But God still had some work to do on this man named Saul. Look at verse 23. When many days had passed. When many days had passed. If you read Acts chapter 9 in isolation and you're doing this just a, your day-to-day -day Bible reading, you're like, wow, well, that was pretty short. That didn't last too long, did it? Uh, it? It seems short when it says many days. But when we put this in the context of all of Scripture, especially the New Testament as a whole, uh, we have to harmonize it with the other writings. And we learn from the book of Galatians that Paul didn't go to Jerusalem right away. We're going to get to that just in a few verses but we learn in the book of Galatians that he actually spent a period of time, three years, between Arabia and Damascus before going to see Peter. So this many days, this is a summary, this is just going by really quick for us. This many days was really three years. Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. This is Paul recounting his testimony. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And look at verse 18. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Cephas being Peter. And remained with him 15 days. Saul spent three years between Arabia and Damascus before finally going to Jerusalem to see the apostles. 
You're telling me this is your chosen instrument, God? This is, this, this is the superstar you've picked, and you're not sending him to Jerusalem right away? No. Saul had a season of preparation. He had a season of preparation. This was a time of growing. This was a time of learning. This was a time of serving. This was a time of having sweet fellowship with Jesus Christ. And I also say this, and we have to be so mindful of this today when we're living in an age of self-promotion and social media, uh, tweets, likes, loves, all those things. This was also a time of obscurity for God's servant. A time of obscurity. Saul did not become a great missionary and a great apostle overnight. Which is a very important lesson we need to learn. All good things take time. All good things take time. We see this in other servants of the Lord. Abraham waited 25 years for the promise of Isaac to be fulfilled. Joseph, God's servant, one of the sons of Jacob, waited 13 years. He spent time in slavery and prison before he would see God's promise and the vision that was revealed to him as a young man. Moses' preparation. Listen to his resume. 80 years of preparation. Some of y'all are just saying, God, I'm just waiting for God to use me in a special way. Look at Moses, 80 years old. Probably outnumbers a lot of you out here. Some of y'all are like, praise the Lord, somebody's older than me. But 80 years, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years as a shepherd in obscurity. But what was God doing, doing during that time? Just chipping away, chipping away at his servant. It took 80 years for him to be ready to be the shepherd of Israel, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. King David, I've been reading about him lately in my quiet time. We don't know the exact years, but some scholars believe it took 15 years from the time he was anointed king to reign as king. He was anointed by, by Samuel. We have that sweet story in Scripture. The young shepherd boy, he comes inside and, and, and the Lord says, this is my servant. Samuel anoints him there before his brothers as king of Israel. But then what happens for the next 15 years? What's, what's a part of King David's resume? He, he, he spends time serving Saul. He spends time being not the same Saul. I'm talking about King Saul. He spends time being backstabbed by Saul. He spends time almost being killed by Saul. He is on the run. He is a fugitive. He's having to spend time here and there. Think of all the thoughts that were going through David's mind. Lord, did you really call me as king? What, what, what's going on? Those years were not in vain, though. Those years were preparation. We would not have the King David we have if it wasn't for those years of preparation. Also, interestingly, if you're a student of Psalms, we'd be missing some wonderful scripture if King David wasn't running for his life. We have some beautiful words from him during that time. Finally, the greatest example of all, our Lord Jesus he spent 30 years in preparation. He spent 30 years in quiet obscurity. He spent 30 years in the carpenter's shop before he finally began a ministry that would change this world, that would turn this world upside down, a ministry that would only last three and a half years. Where am I getting at with this? As Christians, we are to serve the Lord. You're not supposed to just sit still. You're supposed to serve the Lord. But as Christians, as God's servants, we are also to be disciples. 
We are also supposed to learn. We are also supposed to grow. We are also supposed to prepare ourselves. And that's what you're doing today, coming to church. You're sharpening yourself as a student of the Word. But I'll also add a special note for any young man who will be called to serve the Lord in full-time ministry as a pastor. Listen to this. I can't remember who gave me this advice. I've heard it from so many. A call to ministry is a call to prepare. A call to ministry is a call to prepare. As a leader, as a pastor of God's church, a pastor should want to grow as much as possible in learning God's Word. A pastor should also want to to develop his gifts and his skills as much as possible before he enters service into God's church. This should be ongoing, not just at the beginning, but ongoing throughout a pastor's time. Why do I say that? A church will never go or grow beyond a pastor's capacity. If a pastor is ignorant of the word, you're going to have a church that's ignorant of the word. If a pastor is weak in what he does, guess what you're going to have? A weak church. Praise God for preparation. We see the example in Scripture, and that example should still be followed today. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that values preparation. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that values seminary education. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we financially support our Southern Baptist seminaries. But it goes beyond that. We're able, we're equipped, and we do this. If a young man or a young woman is called into ministry and they're going to go prepare for ministry in seminary, we're able to support them directly. What's the saying goes? Where the Lord guides, He provides. If the Lord's guiding you, guess what? He's going to provide for you. I am so grateful, and a number of our staff are recipients of that support. So I say this. Thank you so much, West Acres Baptist Church. God bless you. God bless you. Another thing young men called into ministry need to know is this. Don't expect to be promoted to great responsibility right away. Don't expect to jump right out of the gate and be on the top. Uh, that doesn't work in many places in life, but it especially doesn't work in God's church. Paul, the Apostle Paul, Saul, same guy, same guy. We're going to learn that later. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, he warned the church in promoting a new believer to great responsibility, namely the office of pastor. Let's look at that verse together. Paul says he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. To be puffed up with conceit, I love what one commentator said, to be puffed up with conceit is to be wrapped up in the smoke of one's own glory. To be wrapped up in the smoke of your own glory. That's what puffed up with conceit means. The devil desires nothing more than to see a Christian puffed up in pride. And that could have easily been the case for Saul. Kent Hughes says this, Man's natural plan for Saul would have been promotion. We would have seen his resume. We would have seen his credentials. We would have seen, oh, Gamaliel, you learned under him? What? You encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus? I've heard this story from Ananias. I'm hearing all these good works. We would have promoted him to be the top dog if it was our plan. That's man's plan. Man's plan would have been promotion for Saul. 
You know what God's plan for Saul was? Seclusion. Seclusion. Even great men of God, like Saul, had seasons of preparation. You think you're better than Saul? I don't think anybody's better than Saul. He's one of the greatest in all of Scripture. But know this. Even in that time of preparation, he was still serving the Lord. You don't sit still. You're saying, I'm being prepared, but I'm just sitting still. No, you serve the Lord. That is your preparation. You don't sit still while you're waiting. As Saul entered the Christian ministry, finally, we learn he became acquainted with this thing called persecution. Number three, Saul's persecution. The hunter becomes the hunted. The persecutor becomes the persecuted. Look at verse 23. The Jews plotted to kill him, that being the Jewish leaders. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Jesus said that Saul would suffer for his name's sake. He said that just a few verses earlier. And before the ink is dry, guess what's happening in Saul's life? He is suffering. He's been preaching long enough. He's been preaching good enough where somebody wants to kill him. Saul would become closely acquainted with this thing called persecution. But it would grow more and more in its intensity throughout his lifetime. In fact, his life would come to an end because of persecution. He would later write to the church about persecution 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. That should be everybody in this room. Everybody should desire to be godly here. And God promises this. Everybody who desires that will experience persecution. Notice that the disciples took him by night to save him. You, you got this picture of this great wall and the, and the way this place was set up. It's a lot like the uh, Jericho with Rahab. Uh, they were able to, to uh, let Saul escape through a window and they lower him down in a basket. But what's so ironic is this. These are the disciples in Damascus. The very people Saul wanted dead are now the very people that are saving Saul's life. And it also says this, his disciples, his disciples. Now, that's not being sacrilegious. That's not being saying, oh, we worship Saul. He's the greatest and the best. No, this means that these were people that were sitting under his teaching. Saul was a disciple. But guess what else a disciple is? A disciple maker. Saul was preaching to these folks. They, they were learning under his care. And uh, many of these folks very well probably came to know Christ under Saul's preaching in Damascus. Don't miss this. Maybe you thought about this. Much like God's servant Moses, Saul was saved by the help of a basket. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought he was some undercover guy trying to get in to kill him, to infiltrate him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. When Saul first went to Jerusalem, it wasn't peachy. It wasn't, oh, we have been waiting on you. Come on in. They didn't believe him. 
They didn't think he was a disciple. This also attests to his reputation that the Bible is not making this stuff up. He was public enemy number one for the Christian church. When he came knocking on their door, they were scared out of their minds. They didn't believe it. The verb tense there also says this. He attempted to join the disciples. The verb tense there says it was ongoing. This wasn't just a, oh, I'm going to make my way to Jerusalem. Hey, Peter. Hey, guys. uh, Let me tell you about my story. Uh, They didn't accept him right away. This was ongoing. Who knows? It could have lasted weeks. It could have lasted months. But thanks be to God for this man named Barnabas. This man named Barnabas, we've already seen him in the book of Acts. His nickname was this, the son of encouragement. In fact, his real name was Joseph. But the church started calling him Barnabas because that is what he was known for, was being an encourager, being a helper. And the scripture says this, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, by the way, so I believe he had good discernment. Barnabas took Saul, brought him to the apostles, and vouched for him. Barnabas says, come with me. And Barnabas had good standing with the church, by the way. We've already seen the real estate of Scripture for him earlier in the book of Acts. But he vouched for him. He attested that this man was indeed converted. This man indeed had an encounter with the risen Lord. And this man has been preaching like fire in Damascus. So let's stop right there for a second. What does Saul now have by his side? He has two witnesses. He has two people that are attesting to the work that's been done in his life, including his own witness. He experienced it firsthand. He had these group of people, his entourage, that witnessed something going on. But then he also had the witness of Ananias, which Ananias says, The Lord has sent me to you. The Lord has told me all these good things about you. But then we have Barnabas, a man that is full of the Holy Spirit, that knows there's truth in what is being said by this servant named Saul. So he takes him. And vouches for him. And in verse 28, what happens after they accept him? So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke against the Hellenists, that being the Greek-speaking Jews, not the Greek-speaking Christians. And this is pretty key, because Saul himself was a Hellenist. Because we know who was Stephen uh, debating with before he got killed. The Hellenist. And who was the ringleader of that group? Saul. Saul was now debating against the group that he once used to be a part of. Saul was now debating against the people that had joined him in killing Stephen. And what do they want to do to Saul now? They want to kill him. They want to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, the Christian brother, brother Saul, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. I love this. The, the church actually had to step in. We gotta, they're going to kill you. We've got to get you out of here. It, it wasn't done on Saul's own doing. He would have kept preaching all day long. But the brothers, the Christians, the disciples say, we've got to save you for another day, brother. You need to go down to Caesarea and Tarsus, your hometown. Tony Marita, one of my preaching professors, said this. Jesus never promised Saul that his ministry would be easy. So it shouldn't have surprised Saul when he faced trials right after the conversion. This is the pattern we see in Saul's life. Saul preached Christ boldly. Saul was the object of a murderous plot. Saul escapes. And my professor said this, Welcome to ministry, Saul. Welcome to ministry. 
In his, in his life, Saul would continue preaching Christ no matter what. Even when he went to Caesarea and Tarsus, what was he doing there? He was preaching. He was building the kingdom of Christ. In fact, Saul said this, his greatest fear in life was not death. His greatest fear in life was not to preach the gospel. Now, some of y'all, that's the greatest fear in your life, to preach the gospel. But Saul's greatest fear, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Dear church, West Acres Baptist Church, in America, even in the Bible Belt, that I don't even know if we can call it the Bible Belt anymore, may this verse be the heart cry of our hearts today in a world that opposes Christ in a world that opposes His Word. May we always preach the truth. May we always preach the gospel. The gospel is what changes lives. The gospel is what changes the world. It doesn't matter who you elect in November. It doesn't matter what, what kind of uh, policies you have over here. If you don't have the gospel, nothing is going to change. So may you never shut up. My kids are like, you can't say that. We conclude this chapter of Saul's life with verse 31. Verse 31 is a summary statement. So what happens when Saul gets saved? What is the conclusion? What, what happens to the church? What happens to the world when this man named Saul gets saved? Let's look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. It was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. After the church's greatest enemy got saved, the church experienced several things. It experienced peace. It experienced devotion. That has to do with the fear of the Lord. It has to do with worship. And it experienced growth. The church was growing. The church was multiplying. Saul was no longer a destroyer. Saul was a builder. Saul was no longer a persecutor. Saul was a preacher. Saul no longer made havoc, but he made peace. Dear friends, are there any Sauls out there today? Some of you are like, man, I'm, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a persecutor of the church. But can I say this? If you don't have Jesus, you're as lost as Saul was. Are there any Saul's amongst us today? If so, please know this. If you come to Jesus today, your life will be changed, but this church will also be changed. Because when God does a work in your life, he does a work in the life of his church. I was so blessed to spend some time with some young men in Guatemala, uh, these past... The, Two weeks ago, I was able to spend a week there, and I know Team 2 came in. So blessed during that time. I look forward to sharing about that. But did you know on that team, Team 1 and Team 2, that's all I'm aware of, we had two young men go on that mission trip that used to be one of those balls right there. Do you know that? Some of y'all like... Some of you are like, what is he talking? They used to be a ball. Um, <laughs> they used to be lost. But in the past year, they got saved. Hallelujah. And they're already serving the Lord with passion. And they're already serving the Lord 
with boldness. I got to see it firsthand. I got to serve with Trip. I know Rob, the other guys, y'all got to serve with Josh. The guy is on fire for God. I just, I kind of just had to stand back and watch. And I just wish we all were like that. When God saved those two young men, he didn't just change them. He changed this church. What a joy. What a blessing it is when someone comes to Jesus. Trip Morris, Josh Poole, wherever you're sitting, may your tribe increase. Let's pray.